1: Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Now, oh, Ben, you know that song Fly Like an Eagle performed by Seal on the Space Jam soundtrack? Fly like an eagle. Yeah. If I'm the gentle listeners, I'm flying like an eagle right now because I'm listening to The Kist and Solak Show, episode 96, brought to them by the fine folks of SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at NFL, that's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. 8-Year-Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother?
2: Mike, every day is a good day to be alive. That hits me right in the memes, man. Hits right in the feels. Space Jam was it. Like... Yeah. I own Space Jam on VHS, baby. I'm, I'm I get made up <laughs> fun of for being young, but I was old enough to own Space Jam on VHS, and I'm proud of that. That's a good one.
1: Saw it in the theaters, man. What a great show. So today, what are we talking about? We're talking about players, young players, the young core of players on the Philadelphia Eagles that are going to be extremely important for the Eagles moving forward, especially when Carson Wentz secures the bag. So we're gonna rank mm-hmm. the top ten. Under twenty-five players for the Philadelphia Eagles. Before we do that, Ben, I just want—I want to catch up with you. I want to see what you're what you're getting into. What are you What are you working on recently? What are you doing? I'm watching some 2020 prospects going through some wide receivers and doing some RPO stuff. Let's What's spend
2: a, Let's spend a minute introducing the people to the glory that is Lavisca Chenault. All right. Which, firstly, yeah. you can't be named Lavisca Chenault and not be good at football. It's impossible. Correct. Or Whatever you do, yeah. you can be an account. You'd one of the best accounts in the country, Lavisca Chenault. LaVisco, wide receiver for Colorado. Mike, you've started watching his film. I watched a lot of him last year covering the Pac-12. Oh, so we've got we've got ourselves a running back playing wide receiver here. We've got yeah. ourselves a running back in a wide receiver body, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun.
1: He's 6'2", 220. And a lot of his production, we were talking about this before the show, comes from like the short stuff, the shallow crossers and the jailbreak screens, and they throw in some wildcat. He had five rushing touchdowns last year. So Mm -hmm. a lot of that production is like manufactured, but the guy is a grown man. Like I was telling you, I I think like the hype that he is getting along with like Nikhil Harry and AJ Brown, this guy is a better athlete than both of them. And he is just a beast to bring down in the open field and when it comes to like the three wide receivers that i've watched so far it's it, it's interesting because he's a different type from them because i've watched jerry judy from alabama who is awesome amazing i'm a, I was mm-hmm. a big calvin ridley fan coming out i'm an even bigger jerry judy fan he's one of the few guys i followed since high school since i saw him at a camp and i love his game i think he's gonna be a top 10 player for me and then jalen ragor from from tcu have some question marks about him, but the explosiveness, the burst and all that stuff is definitely enticing. And then Chenault is just like a different animal, just like you said, a grown man. And we want to see him more in a traditional role next year so he can kind of yeah. get those plus blitz releases and, and kind of round out his game with the route tree and everything like that. But at the same time, the guy is doggone fun to watch.
2: For Colorado, I mean, they pretty much spent the entire season, like the entire preseason leading up to the 2018 season, Hiding Lavisca, like they pretty much like like during like spring like ball, like he was out there a little bit and they were working with him, but like nobody was talking about him. And then they came out in week one and they just fed him like it was just unbelievable amount of targets and targets and 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 touches and scheme touches and wildcat touches and everything. This is a guy who went yeah he was he grew up Alabama and he was like a pretty heavy recruit, but he wanted to go to Colorado. I forget why, but it's a cool reason. Burst on the scene as a true sophomore. Colorado had a lot of wide receivers in 2017. Burst on the scene as a true sophomore. And now everybody expects him to come out his junior year after the season oh, yeah. because he's gonna be receiving uh, a ton of attention and, and a ton of targets, and he's gonna be ready, presumably pro ready given the amount of work that he's got at the college level. But yeah, that's our that's our prospect for the day. Uh yeah, <laughs> I just dropped an article on Bleeding Green talking about edge four, which it's this is how you know it's the offseason. We're writing about edge four, Mike but, uh, you know, Eagles had much deeper edge rooms the past couple of years. This year, it looks like they're going in really only three strong right now with Barnett, Brandon Graham and with Vinny Curry. And so asking the question of how much is that going to affect the Eagles rotation? How much does that affect their productivity? What happened last season when Barnett went down? And is that a model for what we can expect to see in 2019? Really interesting stuff. I was telling Mike one of the fun facts before the show. In 2018, when Barnett Long, Bennett, and Graham were all healthy. Each of them was taking over 50% of the snaps per game. That's how often Schwartz was getting three defensive ends, three pass rushers out into the field. Obviously, you had Michael Bennett solves the problem a little bit because he's a really good interior rusher. But the Eagles were – these were – they were all starters. They were yeah. all – all four of them were basically starters in terms of how often they were playing playing the game. And so it'll be really interesting to see what happens if the Eagles really try to develop an edge for, try to get it to be one of their young guys, maybe bring in a veteran if none of them develops, or if they're okay with just going three deep. We'll we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, let's find out how high we are on one of the young guys, because Josh Sweat is one of those guys that qualifies for the main topic of the show, which is our top 10 players under 25 for the Eagles. We're going to do it in reverse order. I'll start off with my number 10 I'm going to go with Trey Sullivan, the safety. I know he has a lot of weird supporters out there. And just so you know, there was about 16 guys that qualified for this. I'm leaving off guys that we know nothing about, like Matt Pryor didn't take a snap last year. So that's how I'm going through that process. I didn't really set any hard and fast rules on that. But Trey Sullivan checks in at number 10. I thought his game against the Chicago Bears was extremely overhyped. I mean, he graded out well in those games, but overall. I don't necessarily expect him to develop into the answer at safety three. It would be wonderful if he did. I'm fully open for it and rooting for him. But yeah, number 10 for me. What about you, Ben? Who is your 10th guy?
2: I just want to make sure that the listeners know what we're looking at here. If you are, you know, like you said, Mike said about 16 guys that qualified.
1: Start of the season, they got to be under 25. So that's why I set it up.
2: I know you guys can think of all the good ones, but we're trying to do top 10. Looking at the list of available players, here's who I have to pick from. Josh Adams. Nate Gary, Deshaun Hall, Shelton Gibson, Trey Sullivan. Hmm. Pretty much the five I've got to go for here. And so pick your poison, choose who you want. I don't really care. Um, what I think, uh, if yeah, if it's gotten to my head, yeah, it's probably Nate Gary, Trey Sullivan. We got three special teamers, Nate Gary, Shelton Gibson, Trey Sullivan. So watch yeah. Deshaun Hall, watch Josh Adams. Hmm. Gary, positional change when he first came into the league massively changed his body last year right was like the workout warrior added a ton of mass to me he's like like gibson i know i know exactly who gibson is and it doesn't excite me i don't think gibson makes the team this year boom
1: he's outside of my top 10 he he was he's bad like he hasn't developed his game whatsoever all the concerns that we had with him coming out are still there
2: so it's between sullivan for gary and gary for me honestly i don't care which is my job but i don't Uh, So I'll take Gary just, you know, to be different. But Gary, you know, he does have good coverage ability with the safety background. He's a demon on special teams. Uh, and, And obviously, he's a player who, with the body change you expect, is kind of still growing into the position a little bit. And so, you know, he was competing for the starting will job last year, where Trey Sullivan does not compete for any jobs. So... Nate Gary.
1: Nate Gary fell at 11 for me, so he was close. He was in that discussion yep. for me, but I just recently was watching some more Kamu hill who didn't qualify for this, by the way. He's he's a little bit too old. But watching Gary just getting washed out and being confused all the time, just uh, I can't I can't do it. My number nine player is a player that you left off, Josh Adams. Obviously, a very high ranking for him. <laughs> we're very excited for him to be the next future back of the Philadelphia Eagles, or some were in the middle of the season last year. And look, man, I we're going to talk about this when we get to Clement, two somewhere on our list. But I've been watching a lot of the run game, the RPO stuff from the Eagles recently. And there was so much meat left on the bone by these running backs just as a core. And Adams, I, I actually think, was one of the better ones. It's just like, hey, here's the whole let's go get it. But really not much to offer after that. Not a whole lot of juice to his game. So he comes in at number nine for me. And he'll be fighting for a roster spot come this year now that they've added Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard. So I think Adams is okay. He doesn't excite me in any area, and I don't think he gives you anything as a receiver. So that's my number nine. What about you, Ben?
2: I am shocked that you decided to put on the top 10 a player who's going to be cut. Uh, This is a very interesting strategy. I'm really (laughs) interested to see how that goes for you. Um, my number nine is Jordan Milata, who has been playing football for exactly a year.
1: See, I didn't include Mylotta because no snaps last year, and we really don't know what he is. So I just kind of, I made the rule for myself, and then he was, he did not qualify for the list, but he did for you. So tell me what you like about Milata.
2: You know, the way you framed this, like they're going to sign Carson Wentz to the extension. So which of these under 25 guys is going to matter? Yeah. Well, if they have one roster spot and all things equal, it's lotta or Josh Adams. They're keeping Mylotta. You know what I'm saying? So, like, to me, that's that's what is the deciding factor there. Like I said, like, you know, when I was going through my guys, I washed Adams, Deshaun Hall off very quickly because, like, they don't provide a lot of special teams value. Hall might make it because of the edge depth issue that we talked about, but those are players I just don't see making the roster. Sean Gibson, I don't see making the roster, so I can't put him in the top 10. My lotta, I'm going to put in the top 10 because I think he's actually going to be around in 2020, right? And and yeah, we don't know a ton about my lotta. My lotta took no regular season snaps last year. What we do know about my lotta is that projecting the development of a rugby Aussie to offensive tackle with no experience, like, there's no schema for that. But consensus-wise, he looks better in year one than we expected him to, which, again, we don't know what to expect. So, like, who – like, we have no – there's no barometer here. We're making this up from a media perspective. Um, But he looked better than we expected him to. And there's no way that's a bad sign. It might not be a positive sign. We might be making this up, but there's definitely not a bad sign that he like went out there in the preseason and like, yes, got Joe Callahan killed, but also had some really (laughs) positive moments, right? And, 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 you know, he clearly is a guy who understands what you know, like what his, his path is like and how long it is and what's going to be necessary for him. So we'll see him again in year two. And like, you know, you fully have the right and I won't, uh, you know, besmirch you at all for it is if we see him in year two and it looks good and you're like, all right, now he's in the top 10. You know what I mean? Cause yeah, you definitely want to to gut check on that, but I'm a my lot of guy. I'm a my lot of truther, even though I said that there's a chance they don't keep him on the active 53 and people got very upset with me, but my lot is my number nine.
1: Is it going to upset you if I have Jake Elliott here at eight? Do you feel he should be higher?
2: Yeah, you'll find out. You'll find out where I have Elliott, sir.
1: 93% extra points in 2017. Bumped that up to 94 the next year. So just a little bit better. We'd like to see that a little bit higher. 84% on field goals both years. I think he's solid. Gives you enough leg on, on kickoffs and whatnot. I know you have his jersey, so I'm expecting him to be competing with the guys like Dallas Goddard, Devontae Maddox, and whatnot on your list as an extremely valuable player. Third phase of the game, very important. Jake Elliott checks in as my number eight. Ben, who do you got?
2: Not Jake Elliott yet. <laughs> this is where I have Corey Clement, and Clement was the the player I struggled to slot the most. Mm. 2018 was not good. 2017 yeah. was quite good, but in like a weird way, because like he did not catch passes at Wisconsin, and all of a sudden he was like the pass catching back, and he was great at it, and it was like well. How legit is this? Like, how how sure am I this is a real thing? You know, it, it was... I'll be very interested to see what Clement's role is now that Howard and Sanders are in the building. Like, Clement has an opportunity to, like, reset his role in the sense of, like, in 2017, if he just, like, filled the gap of pass catcher because Sproles was down and a giant blunt weren't pass catchers, then cool. Well, now, that like, Clement can, like, take on new responsibilities because Sanders and, and Howard haven't earned any jobs either. They're both new in the building. So I'll be really interested to see what happens with Clement. Like, if he's, you know, a solid rotational back in a committee like if he's an rb3 in a team that uses three rbs well then it's hard to put him any higher than eight seven like i clearly put him below jake elliott who's the place kicker so there's my opinion on that you know now if he revives he kind of returns to 2017 form if he pushes out howard for some snaps then all of a sudden you know by 2020 it's sanders and clement one two well then clement's gonna push himself up higher but i think right now we understand him as a running back three as a change of pace guy as you know some good special teams value as well. Tough for me to put that any higher than eight, uh, and, and so Clement landed at eight for me. But it was I really struggled with where he was. I, I had a hard time.
1: Yeah, I had a hard time too. Yeah, I felt like he could have been six for me, but I put him at seven. So this is a good transition for me to talk about him. I mean, based on the highs and lows that we have seen from Clement, if you put him somewhere in the middle of that, that high and that low. I still think you have a decent back. That's an RB3 that can give you something in the passing game as well, as he's shown in the past. I think he's totally replaceable, uh, but I think he is decent. My problem is, man, like I was telling you guys, I went back and watched the Eagles against the Colts, where the Eagles had their biggest rushing output of the season with 152 rushing yards. And the three backs, Adams, Smallwood, and Clement, just really struggled for me. I think Adams was probably the the best in that game, just from a pure like evaluation standpoint. When I watched Clement... He was indecisive. He was drinking through a straw tunnel vision, wanting to bounce early, just not really seeing things and setting up his blocks very well, and his yardage came from being able to shed some contact, but overall I mean, the guy didn't make anybody miss in space last year, and has never been the shiftiest of guys, and then didn't give us anything in the passing game last year so you're really concerned with his development, you don't know, I mean, we kept saying, like, is this guy injured in the beginning of the year? Because that's how bad he was, and he had like a quad knock or a thigh knock sometime during training camp, and we wonder if that is a holdover from that I mean, he put on some weight so that that saps some of his explosiveness because the guy just – he was not good last year. But we know what he can be. We hope that he can return to that level. So we'll see how he develops. So my number seven is Corey Clement. Who is your number seven, Ben?
2: This is where I have Josh Sweat. Nice. Yeah. And the thing with Sweat is like very excited about him when he was selected. Thought fourth round was a good value for him. The medical red flag still pushed him there. I thought it was like a late round two sort of value off of film. I'm probably biased because I just got off a post where I was like, hey, there were a bunch of snaps that the Eagles lost from Derek Barnett and Josh Joshua <laughs> was not able to take them. That's probably not good. But as I wrote, like Barnett was taking over 50% of the snaps. Fourth round rookies don't typically take 50% of the snaps anywhere. One of the reasons why Avante Mattis is going to be as high on my list as he is, yeah. Spoiler yeah. alert, right? Because like he doesn't
0: regularly do
2: that.
1: I mean, come on, yeah.
2: So, so it's it's okay. It's not like you know, uh, a Josh Sweat was like a, a second round or a first round guy who you know all of a sudden was more playing time potentially, and he wasn't able to turn back on that. Like a fourth round rookie snapping into fifty percent of the snaps, I can understand why it's difficult. Especially, I think Sweat has had a big learning curve from what he was asked to do at Florida State yeah. and what he was being asked to do in Philadelphia. That being said. Again, uh, a situation where it's tough to get Sweat any higher than this because of the the question of how much he contributes to the team, uh, you know, his potential to be an actual starter, how many snaps he's taking on, on, on a week-to-week basis. I will say, I would start, if you ask me, like, who could be the biggest mover on this list, I'd circle Sweat yeah. uh, in the sense that if he wins the Edge 4 job, well, we know the Edge 4 job is a healthy amount of snaps. And, and I really think that Sweat does have a profile to be a productive wide nine rusher. We'll see what it looks like in year two. Hopefully, the body's a little bit stronger. If there's a little more mass, maybe that's the solution to it. But hopefully, the tendons are a little more stronger. He's able to practice more regularly. Remember, Sweat was often missing practice time his rookie year with with Nicks and with injuries. Practice more often, get on the field more, and develop into a better role player. Then Sweat's absolutely going to move up into the tier that I have called like you know the starter tier uh, on this list. Right now, he's just below that tier because. I haven't seen him start yet.
1: And I should qualify that we're not talking about rookies on this list. I should have said that up top, but we are not including rookies on this list. And Josh Wett basically had somewhat of a redshirt year. I mean, one pressure in 31 pass rush snaps, not the best production or sample right. size to go off of. But like you said, he has the potential to make a real impact on this rotation. And I kind of bake that into my ranking here. Also, this is a bit of a holdover from my draft scouting evaluation of him. I was very similar to, to the way you felt about him as like a late second rounder that could develop into something. Obviously, the medical flag is there. I'm not a doctor. You know, I don't know if that's something that's going to affect him in Mm -hmm. year three or four or if it's year seven or eight. So I have no idea as far as that goes. But he checked in as my number six. So he was seven for you. He was six for me. Ben, who is your sixth player?
2: We have arrived at Jake Elliott.
1: Hey, I I I wonder because... It was getting high. It was getting real high for a kicker, but he is a starter.
2: Like, everybody above here is, like, at least fighting for a starting job and not a starter. Right. Elliot is a starter, but also, like, it's not really a competition spot, so it's difficult to figure out how much value does he bring. Here's what I know. Elliott's played for two seasons. The list of kickers who, in their first two seasons, have attempted more than 50 field goals and hit more than 80% of them is small. Yeah. It's only 32 players in the history of the league, and that's not a lot.
1: That's a great point.
2: It's not like the league cycles through a ton of kickers, but that's not a lot. And if you look at the list, especially recently, it's a ton of really, really good players. You know, Adam Vinatieri hit that benchmark. Mike Nugent, Robbie Gold, Stephen Gaskowski, Ryan Suckup, Dan Bailey, Justin Tucker, Greg Zerline.
1: Those are career guys. Those are guys with long careers in the NFL. Right,
2: exactly. And I'm obviously I'm nitpicking some good names. Dan Carpenter, Nick Folk, Blair Walsh, they're also on here. You also have, like, you know, Alex Henry is on here. Chandler Catanzaro is on here. Some players have struggled to stick. But it's yeah. a lot of really good names who hit this benchmark, which obviously, like, I, the benchmark is, like, arbitrary. I picked, like, you know, numbers that Elliott would fit in. But still, it's a small list. To say that, like... <laughs> We take for advantage the fact that Elliott is hitting 84% of his field goals, having attempted almost six, over 60 over the first two years. He's also hit five field goals from 50 plus, which I can't right. factor that into to this search, to this PFR search. But I can promise you that's pretty good. Yeah. Now, the issue with this is if we go look back at some of those names I've named, Nick Folk, Ryan Suckup, Dan Bailey, Justin Tucker, Stephen Gaskowski, we're all hitting 100% on our extra points. <laughs> Jake yeah. Elliott on this list is bottom five in terms of extra points hit. He's at 93.5 of his extra points. He's hit 72 out of 77. Yeah. That's the big weakness in his game right now. Now, I do not know jack Diddley about kicking, but I have to imagine that it's an easier problem to solve missing field goals randomly than like being able to hit 60 yarders in crunch time, right? Yeah. If I could pick between the two, like which issue I'd like my kicker to have, it's the extra point one yeah. because I can work with that. I feel yeah. like, as opposed to like, if he just doesn't have the leg and the accuracy to hit from that distance. So I I, I expect Elliot to get better there. Um, but obviously defending Jake Elliott is now like a cult thing that I do, which it's my <laughs> new cult thing, though. This whole people telling me what Danelle Pumphrey's doing in training camp is not healthy for me, Mike. Yeah. Oh, it's not good. Yeah. I feel like a meth fiend at a needle exhibition. It's just not great. I'm getting a lot of trouble here.
1: Danelle Pumphrey is a name that we could have selected on this list. I'm wondering if he's ending up at your top spot
2: no 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 no. i have zero percent chance i didn't even list him on the potential names for top 10 there's no way i was bringing that on myself um amazing he's he's the only player of the potential names that the eagles have actually already cut so there's no way i could potentially (laughs) put him on but elliot at six and i feel good with that i i I do think we underappreciate elliot because it's easy to remember a couple of field goal misses when we forget the fact that just because the eagles don't attempt a lot of 50 yarders because Hmm. they go for on fourth down a lot. We forget about the strength of having a kicker who can hit from 50 plus regularly.
1: Here's what I want to see from Elliott next year. I want to see over 95% on the extra points. I, I know two missed extra points isn't a big deal, but they can make a difference in a game. So I want to see two or less missed extra points from Elliott. I'll be fine with that.
2: Well, they had he had two missed extra points in 2018. So there we go. We win.
1: That's what I mean. That uh, That's that's fine with me. And don't miss yeah. any clutch kicks in, in, in the playoffs, any clutch extra points in the playoffs. You're fine. I'm totally fine with that get that 50 plus range. He was five for six as a rookie, two for five last year. So if he can get that back up to over, you know, well over 50%, then I'm totally fine with that.
2: Now I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to circle back to this because apparently Jake Elliott is the topic of this conversation now, but I'm going to look this up (laughs) on PFR real quick. I would imagine there's a selection bias with his 50 yard attempts because my guess is that, The Eagles go for it mostly all the time on fourth down in real game situations. So I'm imagining these are like, well, actually, they're probably shorter 50 yarders then.
1: When we come back from break, we're going to find out the mystery stat about Jake Elliott here on the top 10 players under 25 for the Eagles entering the 2019 NFL season here on the Kiston Solak Show. We'll be right back. And we are back on the Kisten Solak show, episode 96, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. We have our top five left to go here on the top 10 under 25 players on the Philadelphia Eagles roster. Ben has also been frantically looking up this stat for Jake Elliott. Looking,
2: it was so there was a 51, 53, 54, 55, 56. So he didn't attempt any longer. Than 56. Shorter. Yeah, shorter. You know, so
1: he's got to hit those, Ben.
2: I agree. Now I'm looking. So they, he missed one against Indy. Which, if I remember, was a bad weather game. Yeah, correctly, if I remember, it was a bad weather game. Uh, won against Wouldn't the great. Giants in the in the big thirty-four to thirteen win. Hit against Dallas. Hit against the. And then he was one up for two from fifty against the Rams. I'm mm. trying to. Uh, it's it's funny. You know, I wish PFR doesn't have like game situation time left. Like if it was like end of half stop or something like that. But yeah. anyway, I'd be curious to look. But then again, it's just because. I want to find reasons to defend Jake Elliott. Um, I haven't at six. I'm very happy with him. I stick to my guns.
1: At number five for me, we're getting into the top five. I'll go with Jordan Howard here. Obviously very productive, but also has like, you know, his high volume type of guy. People think I'm low on Jordan Howard. I just think that he's not anything special. He's not bad. I think he's better than decent. Like I said with Corey Clement, I think he's maybe higher than replacement level, possibly when he's at the top of his game. You obviously love what he brings as a pass protector. Only two pressures last year, and I believe it was 87 snaps going off memory here, according to Pro Football Focus. So that's a much needed bonus for the Eagles because they were absolute buns and pass protection from the running back group last year. And this is a guy that also fits the offense really well, what they want to do with inside zone, outside zone, and has, I think, one of the highest usages for RPOs which fits what the Eagles like to do. Like I said, I've been watching a lot of RPO stuff, studying a lot of RPO stuff. The Eagles and the Bears both checked in top three for RPO frequency teams. Jordan Howard obviously understands the concepts and knows what he's tasked with and those concepts when he comes to the Philadelphia offense. So I think it's a great fit. I think he's okay. I think where Howard can move himself up this list is just making guys miss in space, which was something that he did not do last year. And look, I understand that the Chicago Chicago line was not one of the best run-blocking units in the NFL last year, and the Eagles were were better than that. So he's going to get some more adjusted yards before contact and, and all that stuff. But... Howard needs to make more guys miss and hopefully bring a little more in the passing game. I don't see him as a dynamic receiving threat. And it's just not a high value position for me. And he's going to have to fend off Miles Sanders from taking his touches. Ben. What do you have at number five?
2: Jordan Howard. <laughs> like, you know, so it's very clear that we have the same top five. And again, I've been talking about tiers. I think drawing a line, I think, between like the bottom four and the top six, with Jake Elliott being a wild guard because Elliot is like, again like is a starter at a position where there's really no competition. But that's like, you know, role players, backups, developmental guys at the bottom four to starters, or these least guys who we assume are competing for starting jobs. In, in the top five top six
1: proven contributors i think is a good way to put that even if they're not necessarily starters are going to get a high amount of, of contributions right, exactly yeah,
2: yeah yeah and so if you're playing along at home you probably know the five names that we have up top here we'll continue to run through them but howard being fifth out of the five is telling in the sense that yes he's probably a starter you know he gets the game started little asterisk next to his name you know he gets it on the initial thing He's going to be splitting time with Miles Sanders. He's going to be giving some touches to Corey Clement. I think he's going to be limited in what the scope of his role is. I don't think he's going to be getting a huge diversity of running concepts, as Mike said. I don't think he's going to be getting a ton of passing game touches. It just doesn't make sense what his skill set is. And so Howard is a low-end starter. You said you think he's above replacement. I think he's at replacement.
1: I was being generous yeah. there, to be honest with you. And he's <laughs> going to get
2: touches. The The thing about Howard that I entertained the notion of putting Howard below Elliott, if we're being honest. And the, the thing is... It goes back I to my lot argument. I can tell you with almost certainty, barring huge injury, that Elliot's on the team in 2020. I can't tell you that about Howard. And so mm. that's why, like, look, you know, looking forward, how much does Howard matter? Well, he may just be a one-year stopgap guy who they traded, like, you know, a sixth for whatever the heck it was. So, yeah. you know, Elliot, Howard, whatever, it's just mostly me goofing around. It's very hard to put Howard above the top four in whatever order you have them
1: yeah and depending on how you want to frame the discussion because we've both kind of taken our own approach to this i totally get why you would see that perhaps jake elliott is more valuable long term as a young guy that you want on the roster to help alleviate the cap hit that carson wentz is going to to come with once he gets paid i could see how you could make that argument my number four guy Soul, rasul douglas look i've only peaked at a rewatch of rasul douglas versus Jalen mills which i'm very interested in but i'm gonna tell you i'm already pretty confident about how that grading is going to shape out soul has got ball skills he's got physicality he came in rocked up which matters a whole lot in the training camp whole lot and, and i think you know as a third round pick coming into this is his third year now This is the year where you're kind of expecting a breakout or you're hoping for a breakout. And I think Rasul has a very legitimate chance at winning a starting job on the outside if he's competing with Mills. I think he's better. I mean, I think Mills is just, I I don't know where the Mills hives comes from, but man, I would much rather have Rasul in there because he's at least, if he's getting beat every now and then because he can't stay with, with the quicker guys and whatnot, he's giving you some turnovers. And that's really what we lacked when Mills was in the lineup. Rasul came in and started turning the ball over, which I'm very excited for. And you know what? Maybe it gets Jim Schwartz. It motivates Jim Schwartz to let Sewell, like we talked about during the season, when Sewell wants to get up in somebody's kitchen, Schwartz kind of allowed him to do that as the season progressed. And Sewell would get up there and get in the kitchen and start pressing people and getting his hands on people because that's his strength. His strength is not – off coverage, let Sewell get up in the faces, limit some of those cushions, and right. I think overall you'll see that the Eagles is, just won't get carved up so much by those five and seven yard concepts that kill us so much.
2: Now I will say press coverage is a strength, good up there. The same issues that plague him in off, plague him in press, but when you disrupt a route timing or route concept, you're allowed to get disconnected. You've you've thrown things off there is the dichotomy to balance of you want him to continue getting better in off coverage. He has continued getting better in off coverage. Yeah. You want him to be able to play that. So you want him to get reps in it. So you want to leave him there, but also you want him to be successful. So it's pressed. So it's like, you know, there's kind of a give and take there to me. Like, you know, you talk about the Sewell's mills argument. One of the ways I like to frame it, which I think is helpful is let's just go umbrella and then just see where like, you know, yes, no true, false statements lead us. Like, do you want to have a good defense? Yes. Okay. How in the 2010s, how in in this era of football do you have a good defense? You have to be able to generate big plays and turnovers. That's what we've seen. Like The best defenses in the leagues regularly, perennially, there's one to two defenses who can really limit yardage and limit points gained, and the rest of them can't yeah it's like there are one to two defenses this season chicago and baltimore that's it who can have a measurable impact on stopping the league's best offenses the other ones it doesn't matter if you're third or 20th you're they're pretty much getting the same yardage against you right and if we want to investigate that chicago baltimore route it's like okay how do you do this and it's like we'll have like five guys who can cover in man coverage which eagles have (laughs) a lot of corners so like maybe if they all take step forwards we're good but that probably won't happen and so you know if the eagles try to get there they've invested a lot in the position cool i'm like i'm glad they are but let's take the three through 32 path and say well how do these defenses impact games it's turnovers turnovers yeah. are, are are the key that's when you when you look at, at defense and when you look at data you try to see what is the the fulcrum on which defenses change games in the 21st century it's turnovers how do you, how do corners generate turnovers? How do defensive backs generate turnovers? You have to have ball skills. You have to be able to address the football in the air, come down with it, and catch it. You need to be able to turn pass breakups and interceptions. Who is good at this on the Eagles roster? Literally nobody but Sewell. So so like
1: I would say, I would say Avante Maddox is pretty good at that too. But yeah,
2: Matt and Maddox Maddox a had a short couple list. drops. Right. My thing with Maddox is yes, ball skills, but also he has some of the shortest arms that have ever came through the combine. So his ability to influence the catch yeah. point is limited because he just doesn't have length.
1: Remember the playoff game with the Bears when I was coming into it and I was saying Mitch Trubisky is going to give you a chance to pick one off. Yes. If you get that chance, you have to pick him off.
2: I will still die believing that was an interception. Yeah. Absolutely. I was rewatched. I I, I rewatched <laughs> it a couple of days ago. What was I? But I was in yeah. I was in Eagles Bears for whatever reason. Oh uh um Nigel Bradham film because because oh. Jordan Hicks was active for that game but they mostly yeah. play Bradham <laughs> and yeah no I saw that play and I like watched three plays tv and I was like listen he has it all right it's a catch yeah but now he double caught it yeah so to me it's not even like Mills versus Sewell it's like I just want to figure out how I can get Sewell on the field because he makes high impact plays for me. He also gives up stuff. But listen, if the other guys are also giving up stuff, and they are, then get the guy out there who's more likely to make high impact plays as well, right? Like if we're gonna have bust, let's get some boom. Yeah. I've progressed past like should you know Sewell beat out Mills for starting job. Just find a way to get him on the field at some point. Like I don't care. I just yeah. Get the, the the players who can make high impact plays for you on the field somehow and sod who's been the starter and earning the job in camp, everything like that. Like Sewell can make plays. And it's and it's something the Eagles haven't really had at the corner position. Like I like Darby. I'm a Darby fan. You know this. But the big thing about Darby is like he stays sticky in coverage, but he's not super physical getting up into the air and addressing the catch points on his strength.
1: He's got bad hands too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Sewell brings that, which isn't in the cornerback room. So Sewell's also my four. Uh, so now we we've got, 5-4 the same. I'm really interested to see how these top three slice out. It should be fun.
1: I think we're going to have it probably exactly the same. My number three is Derek Barnett. Tied 49th of 75 for pass rush productivity, according to Pro Football Focus last year. Thought the best part of his game was definitely run defense, which we've always said is the strength of his. Nine run stops in the run game in limited time. Very good, according to PFF again. But yeah, I mean, Barnett, this is a big year for him. And I think the expectations are that this needs, I mean, I think people thought that last year was going to be his breakout, but you're going into your third year, you're a 14th overall pick, you haven't quite shown that you can be the dynamic pass rusher that you want when you pick somebody with a 14th overall pick. And and again, people think we hate Barnett, but I'm tired of hearing he's only 21, he's only 22. He's a third year vet now, now is and he's a first round pick. Now is the time to show the upside this is is the year he has not shown it yet, Ben? What about you? It's not Barnett. Woo! Oh yeah, Ben Art- Barnett. Higher. Who do you have at three? Is it Maddox? Maddox. Yeah.
2: Maddox. Yeah. And here's 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 the 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 just number one bugaboo issue with Maddox. Maddox. The Eagles secondary was like you know uh, lost at sea, and Maddox was a raft, right? Like Maddox's ability to <laughs> film multiple roles was tremendous, right? And like yeah. he came out and like playing free safety for that. I mean, playing nickel corner, he played outside corner in the Chicago Bears game, but like here's here's the critical thing that it's very easy to forget. Maddox wasn't actually that good at free safety, right? Like he number one, he didn't do a lot of like actual free safety things. They ran a lot of combo coverage with him. And number two, he doesn't have a huge range of influence because he doesn't have great instincts for free safety. He never played the position before. It's not like he's going to address the catch point really well. We talked about how he's short and he's stubby, so he doesn't have great length to go up there and, and attack at height.
1: Filling in the run game could be a problem for him. He can get attached to a quarterback's eyes. He can get put on a string. Right. We saw that when he played at right, free safety, for sure.
2: Yeah, I feel so dumb saying this, but like you know, the outside corner at Pitt turns out was not as good as a year one free safety for the Eagles, as some people think. Like, well, no, duh. <laughs> but that's the thing is like, McLeod went down, then Graham went down. And it was like, "What do we do?" And the solution was, "All right, we're putting Maddox out there." And I remember at the time, you and I were like, "Like, this is gonna be awful." And then it wasn't. So it was above expectation.
1: Yeah. But so he gets a ton of credit for right? that. Right. Like yeah. people, like
2: you know, we talk about like safety three, and people go, "Like, well, what about Avante Maddox?" You don't want Avante Maddox to be a safety for you. He doesn't have the body type of a safety. He doesn't have the play style of a safety. He hasn't played safety.
1: You want him as a nickel, right? I mean, that's yeah, exactly. he Where he started that OTAs.
2: The Eagles worked it out around Maddox at free safety <laughs> but there was a lot that again they played a lot of uh, of different zone coverage stuff and they let Maddox come up and rob and he like got a couple interceptions they like fell into his lap like the Titans with Mariota and like we remember these plays but Maddox was at his best as a coverage corner we mm. saw that in the Rams game I thought he was tremendous against Robert Woods yeah. the Chicago game he took a couple lumps against Allen Robinson but that's what you do you take lumps and you survive especially when you're playing you know, five inches, you know, against somebody you're superior, you know, beat him on a couple double moves. But Maddox, strong in in man coverage, showed growth throughout the year, doesn't have ideal size measurables, I'm harping on that. But as a nickel guy, you expect to be able to protect that. He can absolutely be the Eagles starter at nickel. And that's a a high-impact position. But this image of Maddox is like this skeleton key, which I've called him this before because he was. But this image of Maddox is like a long-term... Can flit anywhere, Malcolm Jenkins sort of player to me is incorrect, and then mm. he gets overhyped because Maddox really, you know, in our moment of weakness, shined for us. Um, so Maddox to me is just like the nickel corner, and he's he's we expect him to be a good nickel corner. He's got good zone awareness. He's got really nice change of direction. He's got good explosiveness, and that's fine. He's my nickel corner. He's three, and I I I, I that's where I put him, and I'm okay with that.
1: Yeah, it's funny because the people around him at the time, Maddox was much better than but Shannon Sullivan, Josh Hawkins, Corey Graham. Right. that's the thing is like
2: i think when all things are equal maddox is a starter on your defense and we've got again like talked about you know these are starters maddox is a starter on your defense and he's a guy you're very comfortable playing out his rookie contract as the nickel should be fine obviously i'd like to see him spend a whole season there too which he didn't do last year because he had to move around everywhere which again isn't a detriment to him just talking about evaluating him and understanding his game
1: avante maddox is my number two player and it's funny you mentioned the the rams game I, i think he had like five or six plays i mean number one some solo tackles on Todd Gurley in the open field. I did not yeah. expect that from him. That were very clutch Twice in clutch situations.
2: Oh, I can't believe I forgot. The most important thing about Maddox, I learned I went to high school with his current girlfriend. Anyway, go ahead.
1: <laughs> but then like so so he's got the five or six plays that were really good. The interception that he had, right? He had an interception that game. It was on the it was on the bench route from Josh Reynolds. One of the worst bench routes that I've ever seen. I thought it was interesting because you go to the broadcast of that game, and Goff is coming to the line and he's yelling at Josh, Josh Reynolds, bench, 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 but bench route being a, a vertical stem. You get 10 yards down the field, then you threaten the post and then you hit an out route. Well, Josh Reynolds ran like one of the worst bench routes in history. Maddox hears Goff saying bench, bench, bench. And sits all over it and is able to undercut the route and make a great play. I thought it was an awesome play.
2: Dude, MVP of that game.
1: <laughs> Definitely. And then at the end of the game, too, he was covering Josh Reynolds and stacked him up on those on those nine routes when they were trying to throw one up. So he performed well above expectation there, and it was one of the shining spots at corner for the Eagles when he got a when he got a chance to play corner and he wasn't playing out of position at safety. So he is my number two, and I don't want to make it sound like all, all of this talk is us saying that Maddox isn't a really doggone good football player and doesn't have potential to be a good football mm-hmm. player. I just think his best fit, if you want the most out of him is at Nickel, which is where he's currently playing at OTAs. And I think that's a, that's a wonderful place to take advantage of his skill set, the short area quickness, and also hiding the lack of length because he's not going to come up against you know some of these big slots all the time. So I feel like that's a really good way to maximize his skill set. I think that's his long-term position moving forward. I mean, but it's great to, to have a guy out there that's not entirely lost when you have to move him around. So he's my number two guy. Ben, you're a number two guy. Wow, it's between Dallas Goddard now and Derek Barnett. I think I know where you're going with this one. It's got to be Barnett, right? There's no way.
2: What is the framework of this podcast? It's Eagles players under 25 mm-hmm. who, are we saying best? Or are we saying will matter the most or most important? It's a combination of both. I have Goddard second. What? Ew. Goddard, how many? what percentage of the snaps you giving Goddard versus Barnett. Barnett is going to play this season 70% of the snaps. Goddard's gonna play what? Forty. Do you trust that he's gonna be as impactful? Number so number one, I think.
1: Hold on, hold on, hold on. Snaps are fantastic. Is he going to be as impactful as Dallas Goddard can be?
2: Well, okay, so is will Barnett will Barnett be as impactful as Dallas Goddard can be? So what will Barnett be versus a hypothetical for Goddard? I'm not falling into that trap. I'm known as this massive Derek Barnett <laughs> detractor. My timeline on Derek Barnett. Was number one? I think he was overdrafted at fourteen. I would have preferred him in the second round. I just don't think he's 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 a round one edge rusher. I think he's an edge two, right? Well, guess what? He's going to be edge two on this team. They have Brandon Graham for the next three years, and Brandon Graham's going to stay like you know the titular edge one, even if Barnett outproduces him, which Barnett was outproducing him last year when they were both on the field
1: from a sacks number, yeah.
2: No, from and, a, from a from a quarterback hit perspective. Let me. Oh man, that piece of paper is somewhere else. Barnett was has had a, had a quarterback hit once every. 15 pass rush snaps for PFF, and Graham was somewhere in like the 20s, 30s.
1: And Graham was also dealing with the ankle surgery that he was recovering from, or he wasn't going to be the same until week 10, week 11. And Barnett week 12.
2: Had, had a bad shoulder. Listen, okay, I'm not, I'm not, I am, there's no way right now I'm, I'm becoming this far. I'm not going this far into Barnett. This is supposed to be our Goddard anyway. <laughs> I'm considered this big Barnett detractor because number one, I thought he was overdrafted, and I've been public about that, and then number two, After he had a six-game season, I wrote a a post—a six-sack season, I wrote a post where I was like, hey, all these sacks, came against tight ends, let's just be aware of this. And, uh, you know, obviously that was incendiary. (laughs) Barnett v. Goddard. I think Goddard is an objectively better player. Okay. I think as long as Goddard is behind Zach Ertz, which he is for the next foreseeable future, Goddard matters less to this team than Barnett matters to this team. That's number one. Number two, I think Barnett, off of film— measurably, noticeably took a step forward from year one to year two. I do not know what that means for year three coming off of injury. I do not think that Barnett is a high ceiling player. I do not think he can get much better than he was in 2018, but he was good in 2018. He was what they want him to be in 2018. Again, don't think it should have cost 14, but this team cares about edge pressure more than seemingly anything else. And so if you need an edge, you need an edge and they need Barnett. So, when it comes to a best versus most impactful versus most influ- influential, it's a difficult thing to suss out. I this like, to me, like, I had trouble placing Clement and Sweat at seven and eight, and then Barnett and Goddard at one and two. I was like, I don't, you know, like, just tie him at first. Like, I, like, I was able to put Maddox below them, and then after that, I was like, I don't really know. With Dallas Goddard, because, again, I'm supposed to be talking about Goddard at two, the number one value that he provides is what the team can do schematically, what the team can do in the no huddle, what tendencies the team can hide by getting Goddard on the field, Goddard and Zach Ertz's interchangeability, their ability to line up at a ton of different spots and accomplish a ton of different things allows Philadelphia to totally open their playbook. When you have Goddard and Ertz on the field, and then like, you know, Miles Sanders in the backfield, there is not a play that is not available to you because these guys can be slot receivers. They can be inline blockers. They can be lead blockers. So you can do anything. And that's tremendous. But from a pure production standpoint, Goddard, you know, okay, like averaged over 10 yards a catch, which was great. But even at the height of his efficacy was getting four targets a game, right? Yeah. Like at the end of last season, he's getting three, four targets a game. It's just very tough for me to say that that's more impactful than the Eagles outside edge rusher who was turning out good production on 30, 35 pass per snaps a game. So yeah, I'd but it's easier, it's
1: easier for an edge guy to produce as a rookie than it is for a tight end. I mean, we have these crazy expectations for tight ends when they come out. They really don't produce like that in their first year. And you can look at a lot of rookie tight ends. They don't get over 800 yards. Like there's not many players like that. There's one or two tight ends that have had over 800 yards in their first year. It's easier for an edge. And if you want to talk about how impactful a player is because they're just on the field more, go back to 2017 when the Eagles had a full rotation. Brandon Graham has 64% of the snaps. Vinny Curry, a starter, had 56%. Chris Long, 48%. Derek Barnett, 41%. Dallas Goddard already had forty-eight percent of the snaps as a rookie, and is probably going to be a little bit more than that. How many? How, how much of a difference are we talking about here when we're talking about who's going to be on the field if the Eagles' rotation is healthy at defensive end? Is it so going to be?
2: So how many snaps? Let me ask you this: How many snaps Dallas Goddard taken this year?
1: Five hundred
2: and twenty-three. How many? How many? I said what percent Like you said, he took forty-eight percent of the snaps last year. Yeah. What percent is he taking this year, twenty nineteen?
1: I would put it at fifty-two. I don't think it's going to be much higher, but I think it's right, around fifty-two, fifty-three. Yeah. But I mean, what's Derek Barnett going to be at if they're they're healthy? I mean, considering all things are...
2: This year, 70.
1: 70? I don't think the Eagles want the rotation to be that heavy. A lot of this depends on Josh Sweat, too.
2: Yeah, it does. It does depend on Josh Sweat.
1: Brandon Graham took a pretty high number of snaps last year, despite not being all that healthy. And he was at 72, 73%. That's your edge
2: one. Mm. I mean, that thing is like, I would would say both Barnett and Graham will be in the high 60s. But at the end of the day... Right, like we're we're talking about all this, and it's very interesting, and it's a good time.
0: <laughs> and
2: It is. Carson wants to throw the ball thirty times a game. There you go, arbitrary number. Ertz, Alshon, Deshaun. If you want to put Goddard as the number four target, sure. I think you have Agalord at a conversation there. How many How many targets does Goddard get in a game?
1: How many yards is he going to create as a blocker? Like he, I mean, he gives you. Well, that's the thing is like
2: I acknowledged. What he gets, I cannot believe I'm Barnett standing over Goddard right now. This feels <laughs> awful. I, I acknowledge, like, that was that was the big caveat. I said like the number one value he brings is his interchangeability with Ertz and how that allows the Eagles to do a ton of different schematic stuff, which you and I have both written about. It's like, on i bleeding green. It is crystallized yeah. it is in written form. It's on the internet forever. Goddard's a tight end too. It's just tight, like, I, I love him to death and the team runs more 12% than anybody else, but he is a tight end too.
1: So let me ask you this. Let's say Goddard takes 55% of the snaps, has 500 yards, five touchdowns. I think that's reasonable. Obviously, we know his contributions that he brings as a blocker. Let's say Barnett hits his ceiling of what you say he's at, has 78 sacks, and then has, let's say, 65% of the snaps. Which one do you think is more impactful overall? That's
2: Come on, it's Barnett. That has to be Barnett.
1: Okay. Eight okay. sacks no, I'm just, versus – Yeah, I'm just throwing out the hypothetical. I wanted to make sure that you were you know, being coherent right. with your line of reasoning here. I think you are. I disagree. Yeah. I think you're wrong, which we'll see next year.
2: Right. Okay. Do you, wait, you disagree with 505 touchdowns. I say is less impactful than eight sacks on 65% of the snaps. And you disagree with that?
1: I mean, we'd have to talk about like pressure rates and quarterback hits and all that stuff, too. So that's a whole...
2: And his pressure rate last year was good. I can't. Small I like, sample miss-
1: size. Extremely small sample size.
2: I'm just going to be... I'm just going to... It was half the season.
1: Half the season?
2: <laughs> it was three-eighths of the season. Three-eighths of the season. I can't believe I'm going to I'm pivoting away from Danelle Pumphrey and towards Derek Barnett. Love is a weird offseason. This is amazing. (laughs) Um, I like I just I think that again. Yeah, I agree. Sacks are heavily situational, but I think it's like if you asked me to project Derek Barnett's sack total for 2019 i would say eight that would be my guess
1: are four of them against tight ends
2: sacks or sacks brother <laughs> <laughs> listen you play enough snaps you're gonna get blocked by somebody who shouldn't be blocking you eventually
1: that's a fact whether it be a tight end or a running back okay so that's gonna do it for our top 10 rankings on the eagles players under 25 non-rookies that we feel good about coming into the season ben would you say goodbye to the gentle listeners and all the Derek Barnett fans out there.
2: I just want to just recap here. We were really close. We had the same guys in our bottom five. I added Gary because the 10th spotter, they didn't care, which is the aura the of Elliot moved us off a little bit. And then we had the exact same guys in the top five, the exact same five, four. And then yeah. in the top three, we went wonky. Yeah,
1: yeah, we went all over the place. That's interesting.
2: What we do know is that Dallas Goddard is better than Avante Maddox, which I think is, is, is that, that was the one consistency we had, which I like. I agree. Thanks for listening to the show really appreciate you swinging by. Uh, if you have your top 10 list of the Eagles' most influential players under 25, excluding rookies, you can go ahead and give that to us. If you don't know, and we kind of went over it a little bit, but the whole list is Josh Adams, Derek Barnett, Jordan Mailata, Josh Sweat, Rasul Douglas, Deshaun Hall, Avante Maddox, Corey Clement, Jake Elliott, Nate Gary, Shelton Gibson, Dallas Goddard, Jordan Howard, Danelle Pumphrey and Trey Sullivan. You can go ahead. Is Boston Scott? Where's Matt Pryor's
1: in there. Scott. I think Boston Scott was an option. I think I left him off because, I mean, we don't How know what
2: he is. dare you? I know. But uh, you can go ahead and at us with your lists. I'm on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. We are enjoying, Michael. Unbelievable offseason numbers. Which it's is crazy. All thanks to you guys for like if you look at our numbers right now and if we were like hey point to where the offseason started you really wouldn't be able to do it which is tremendous and we're very thankful you'd be able to point to where the draft was that's not hard but it's really like you know yeah it's uh it, it, it's so cool to see that you guys are still actively listening throughout the entire season and we want to reward that and return that with a ton of content like this one and good content all throughout the summer if you've enjoyed some of the show concepts if there's something you'd like for us to talk about should we get a lot of these sort of requests go ahead leave a rating in iTunes leave a review subscribe so that all the podcasts automatically download which is very handy dandy because if you're like me always forget to download podcasts and then you need them to be automatic. Uh, We only accept five star ratings, though. That's a unique thing about our show. It's one of the reasons why we're so good. We have standards for our reviewers. Don't you dare give us less than five stars. (laughs) Be proud. Hold yourself up to this high benchmark and give us what we want. Thanks for listening. We love you. Goodbye forever.
1: Be a positive influence on the internet today. We all we got. We all we need. Fly Eagles Fly.